to the podcast for North Decatur Presbyterian Church. We are a PCUSA congregation located in Decatur, Georgia. You can find out more about the church, our service to the community, and our great education programs for children like me and youth and adults at ndpc.org. You can also follow us on Facebook. If you're in the Atlanta area, we hope you'll come join us in person. Okay, that's it. On to this week's scripture and sermon. Shapes our Christian faith. We've talked about our body. We've talked about our social body. We've talked about the earth as the body of God. Today is the last day we talk about bodies. And today we're going to talk about a body that no one has ever perhaps seen exactly. It's the mystical body. As a way to begin thinking and talking about the mystical body, I want to read a passage from the letter to the Colossians. This is the first chapter I begin in verse 15. Listen. Listen for a message about a cosmic, mystical body in which we are all a part. The sun, S-O-N, the sun is the image of the invisible God. The one who is first over all creation, because all things were created by him, both in the heavens and on the earth, the things that are visible and the things that are invisible, whether they are thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created through Christ and for Christ. Christ existed before all things, and all things are held together in Christ. Christ is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the one who is first born from among the dead, so that Christ might occupy the first place in everything. Because all the fullness of God was pleased to live in Christ. And God reconciled all things to God's self through Christ, whether things on earth or in the heavens. Christ brought peace through the blood of the cross. This is the word of God. It is for you who are the people of God. We say together, thanks be to God. So this is the last day we are talking about bodies, and because it is the last day, we should talk today about the big problem with bodies as a primary theological concept. And not just as a theological concept, right? There's a big problem with bodies. What is it? They fall apart. This comes as no surprise to a number of you. You are well acquainted with this fact of bodies. Bodies become sick. 
Bodies break down and bodies die. At the very least, this is an inconvenience. Enduring our own bodies breakdown is no walk in the park. Theologically, it's a little bit rough, too. If we are to hinge our faith on God's embodiment, and all we've got are these frail and temporary bodies, what does that say about God? What's God doing? Investing so much love and so much care in bodies that go away. It's not just physical bodies that go away. Social and communal bodies do the same thing. Go visit Italy. Look at what's left of the once indestructible Roman Empire. Some ruins, some roads, and some aqueducts. Communities die. We drove this summer all throughout small farm towns in Iowa and southern Minnesota and South Dakota. Their once thriving main streets are mostly empty shells. And the church, the body of Christ, dies. Used to be able to look out this door and see the Scott Boulevard Baptist Church. Now all you can see is some condos and a sprouts. Even this grand, self-organizing, generative body of the earth is going to die. I'm not even talking about climate change, although that's not helping matters. One day the sun will burn out. One day the earth will no longer support life of any kind. It's true. Scientists have a word they use called entropy. Basically means that things fall apart. Everybody comes undone. This is a conundrum for our tradition that has staked so much on divine embodiment. God always moves. I said this last week. God always moves in the direction of embodiment. That's what I've been affirming every week, and that's what I do continue to believe. But what does it mean, then, that the bodies that God makes and God loves and God inhabits all come undone? Maybe I'm the only person that worries about stuff like this. (laughs) Maybe ignorance is bliss. Maybe we ought ought to just ditch any grand vision of what these bodies are. I love Thomas Hobbes, the old English philosopher who was famous for saying we shouldn't expect too much of life. Life, he said, is solitary, poor, nasty, brutish, and short. For much of history, and even for some of us today, life in the body may not always look or feel like a gift from God. 
And yet I also believe that in every life, in every life, there is enough joy and enough love and enough beauty to allow us to grasp the luminous quality of the embodied life. So every one of us has to look at the conundrum of our own disillusion. When is the last time that you gazed clear-eyed at the end of your own bodily life? What does it feel like to stare at that truth? Some of us can't really stare at it. We look away. We deny our death as long as we possibly can, sometimes until it's too late. Some of us will only ever see death as a cruel joke, as the negation of this beauty and joy in our bodies. Some of us will take a stoic posture and release ourselves from bodily attachments. And some of us will eat and drink and be merry, because this is all we get, so we might as well enjoy it while it lasts. There's no judgment in any of this. The end of our body is, I think, the great mystery of our living. All of us will do our very best to reconcile ourselves to the fact of our body's end. But I do want you all to know, and I want you to remember, that our tradition has its own distinctive response, its own wisdom to the problem of the ephemerality of bodies. Our wisdom, our truth, is called resurrection. Resurrection is the way that our tradition responds to the grim fact that things fall apart. I'm not saying that a couple of guys and gals got together in the mid-30s in, in, mid in Antioch and said, hey, let's write a good philosophical response to the existential dilemma of mortality. Right? That's not exactly how it happened. How it happened is a bit of a mystery even today. What, what seems to have happened is that in the days after that real body of Jesus was crucified, and put into a tomb, those people that loved that body had in their own bodies an experience of a risen body of Christ. I have no idea how they experienced that body. Maybe as a force, as a warmth, as a vision, perhaps. Perhaps their experience 
was as plain as you and I experiencing one another's bodies today. But something convinced them of the persistence of Jesus' body as a living being after the fact of his death. And so they wrote stories about their encounters with that risen body. And they wrote more stories about how the Spirit of God that was in that risen body came to be in their own bodies. And they also had hope that when their bodies died, the same love that raised Jesus' body might raise their bodies too. The experience that these women and these men shared of Christ resurrected became the organizing principle of their lives. Death, this eternal conundrum, this fearsome negation of bodily life was not what it appeared to be. The direction of God toward embodiment was not finally stopped by the death of the body. God's love does not let bodies disappear. Not Jesus' body. Not your body. Not anybody. Resurrection becomes the affirmation that the movement of God toward love in the flesh does not end. Resurrection says that the movement of God toward forming us into the social body, the body of Christ, in which every member is honored, that does not end. Resurrection affirms that the movement of God toward the resituating of our human bodies to be at home within the life of the body of the creation is not halted by death. Resurrection is the organizing principle of the Christian life. Resurrection says that things do not fall. They hold together. That is an existential wager, isn't it? I've had a chance to talk with a few of you over the last couple weeks about a recent episode of the program On Being, in which the host, Krista Tippett, talks with a physicist named Brian Greene. And their conversation, I commend it to you, you can find it on podcasts and online, their conversation touched on some of these same questions. Green was clear. According to the laws of physics, the universe is now and will eventually fall apart. There's no arguing it from the standpoint of physics. 
But green is also a lovely conversation partner for people of faith. Because he acknowledges that human beings live by stories, and science is one of those stories, but the stories of faith are just as essential for organizing our existence, just as essential for galvanizing our persistence, just as essential for giving us the capacity to thrive, even in the face of entropy. Our capacity to imagine a way through the falling apartness of the physical universe is not madness. It's marvelous. Our capacity to imagine the persistence of love overcoming death is not a denial of reality. Our theological imagination is itself part of the fabric of this reality. Is resurrection true? Is there a mystical body that persists? If it is true, its truth may not be measured in laboratories or by equations, but instead by the beauty and by the goodness that it draws out of our human lives? Does resurrection allow us to see and be on this earth in a new way? Does it draw us away from the fear or cynicism about death? Does the promise of resurrection move us, move you and me to invest in a life of love and kindness and joy? Does resurrection show us how much God indeed loves our bodies and therefore move us to an embrace of bodily life in the here and now, both our neighbors and our own? I think it does. That great old creed of our tradition, the Apostles' Creed, says a lot of wonderful things, a lot of perplexing things. It says, I believe in the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. Now, I know from experience that some of you cringe when we say that together, because you're not sure what you believe, and I want to tell you that's okay. We're all just working it out with fear and trembling and sometimes with a glass of wine. But our tradition affirms that resurrection is real, that love raised that body of Christ And that the love and the grace and the peace that was in that resurrected body of Christ is no longer restricted to that particular body, but love and grace and peace by the Spirit infuses every body. The 
The writer of this letter to the Colossians says Christ is the head of the body, the church, the beginning. The one who was first born among the dead and all, all the fullness of God was pleased to live in Christ and God reconciled all things through Christ, whether things on earth or in the heavens. I know, and you know when we look around that it does often look like things are falling apart. Our tradition invites us to look again and to look closely and to look through eyes filled with love. Perhaps things don't fall apart. Perhaps they come together. Perhaps all things are reconciled to God in Christ. We believe in the resurrection of the body and in the life everlasting. Let the body of Christ say, Amen.